0: Podcast, 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 podcast. podcast. Yeah, we're back. Welcome to the Through the Eyes of Jesus podcast. My name is Isaiah Leininger. <laughs> joining me today, as always, is Walker Howell. That was not him. Well, that wasn't him. But <laughs> either way, uh, joining me as always is Walker Howell. And today we have what should be a very, very special guest. A very, very interstate. In- inter- yeah, that's that's <laughs> the. Yeah, he's he's a special guest. That's for sure. Zach Barnhart.
1: I don't know
2: if that was more of an insult or more of a compliment. However the podcast goes determines that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, for real. If I live up to the title, then we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll
0: see. But uh, for now, at least, we're glad to have Zach Barnhart on as our guest. (laughs) We'll see
1: how that turns out,
0: buddy. And uh, we're continuing with Zach this this morning with season three. Zach is season uh, three, episode four. And we're looking at, in Season 3, doctrinal issues, things that divide Christians, things that split Christians, things that, in the Scriptures, we tend to not be able to understand, or, or at least not be able to all understand the same way. And honestly, in my opinion, this is the most divisive thing going on in Christianity right now. And of course, right now, we're, uh, as you can tell, we're looking at the idea of instruments in worship. Some people are very, very strongly in favor of it. Some people are very, very strongly against it. So, uh, Zach, we're going to allow you to introduce yourself, and then we'll dive into that topic. Be
2: careful what you say.
0: <laughs> <'Cause> it will be <laughs> immortalized
2: on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, my name is Zach Warnhart. I, I graduated from the West Virginia School of Preaching, and I'm a junior here at Freed-Hardman. And I'm very excited. First, I want to thank you guys for letting me be on the podcast. very excited. I this morning, I was trying to decide what to wear. Like, do I dress up for it? And two things crossed my mind. I was like, well, one, it's a podcast. They're not going to see me. <laughs> and then two, like, there's two types of people on Saturdays. Those wearing comfy clothes and those who wish they were. <laughs> so I figured i will just go with comfy clothes. There you go. Yeah.
1: Hey, we have a very educated man on. Yeah. Yeah. West Virginia School. Appreciate
0: you. It's a good. It's a good school. It's yeah. a good school. I, uh, yeah. I, I, Isaiah's is familiar with it
1: because he's from around that yeah. area.
0: In yeah. those One, yeah. uh, I'm friends with the the director, and I've I've been to that school a couple times on visits and things like that. Like that. Yeah. A lot of the stuff I know and do, in as my, in my ministry or whatever it is, is
2: on standing on the shoulders of, of those guys that help me out a lot. Yeah. So, well,
1: and we're going to get to use all of Zach's knowledge today because uh, he wrote this entire script himself um, using a sermon outline that he wrote. So um, we're going to be utilizing all the credit to him and. Letting him really take the reins on this. Even more than that, all credit to God, of course. Yeah, all credit to God, but also Zach because he wrote the script, Um, and so.
0: So if you get mad at something we say, it's his fault.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's That's fair. I'll take that. (laughs) So we're gonna uh, we're gonna let Zach sort of. um,
2: I don't know. uh, He's. Do you want to define the issue? Um. Or? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I, I think approaching a different way in a sense, you know, we could just start obviously start talking about instruments and say, well, should we have them not look at the verses? Yeah. But I think that's usually that's kind of like fixing, fixing the faucet. But I think we should just go for the well start from scratch, there you go. start from the ground up. And it really comes down to how should we worship God? It's not is this the right way to worship. But what is like what does God say for us to worship? And in this discussion, it's important to know that God is the only one. His opinion is the only one that matters. It doesn't matter what any of us say and because you know God is the only one I guess, with the authority to decide how we worship because he's God and all authority belongs to him but also you know he's the center of our worship you know we're directing our praise to him or our, our intent is to praise and glorify him and so naturally he would have the right to decide that you know we don't gather and sing for the sake of doing so we're, we're gathering to worship and praise God uh, Hebrews 12:28 says therefore since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So we have to serve God in a way that is acceptable to him. And that's really the issue is what is acceptable to God? How can we worship God in a way
0: that is acceptable? Uh, uh, Before we really answer that, uh, I just want to make a a slight maybe correction to what you said. Because I I agree with, with everything that you said, but I think a certain word that you use has a connotation that would kind of give some people some false ideas. Uh, and that word that you use is opinion. You said that God, God's opinion matters more than ours. Okay, yeah. uh, and I think, I think you know where I'm going with this. And I just wanted to point out that it's not a matter of opinion, right? Walker and Zach and I can all have different opinions about where we're going to eat for lunch, right? Walker can say Chick-fil-A, I can say Wendy's, Zach can say Taco Bell. And guess what? Those are all equal and valid options. Why? Because we're three people. We're three guys with the same amount of authority over each other, right? And that's really not any, because we're equals. But as you mentioned later in your, in your uh, definition, God has authority over us. So it's not his opinion on what we should do. It's his truth. And, of course, as we know from the from the scriptures, God's truth is truth. There's no other truth out there. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No, yeah,
2: that's a good point. Thank you. I appreciate you pointing that out. Yeah, because God has the first and final say on this. So, you know, so yeah, definitely not talking about opinions. I want to talk about what God is saying. So what God says is the way, When we can't deter from that. And so well, we need to serve God in a way that he finds acceptable. So what, what way is that? Well, the only worship that's acceptable to God is when people worship him in the way that he has instructed. And I think that's shown in the case of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. We have Cain and Abel bringing their offerings to God. They're, they're about to worship him. And evidently, as we're going to see, that he must have given them given them some instructions for worship, because we see in verse 3 says, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And so Cain and Abel bring their offerings to God. They go worship him. God accepts Abel's offering, but he does not accept Cain. And then we see what he says. He says in verse 6, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and it's is for you. But you should rule over it because if you did well, if you do well, I will accept it. If you if you do not if you do well, will you not be accepted? And that's the, if we do well, if we do what God tells us to do, that is
0: the, the, the worst that He is going to accept. Yeah, that's a really good point, Zach. And I I think you hit it. You know, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head with that when you said that God must have given them some sort of command beforehand. Right, Because God isn't going to hide what he wants and then punish people for not doing it. That wouldn't be fair. That wouldn't be just. And that wouldn't be the God that we worship, though. That wouldn't be the God that we see in the Bible. So I agree with you that we must, uh, there must have been some sort of command earlier that we don't have specifically recorded for us in the book of Genesis, but that God had told to Cain and Abel. Otherwise, why would one offering be acceptable and one offering be disqualified?
2: Right. Yeah, and if you know, if he didn't give them in some instructions, then what does he mean by if you do well? You know, what you know, if there's no standard for him to be judged off of. There's nothing, no way he could do well. And I don't, I'm not to out too much, but again, when I say, when, about, when I say, I'm try, I'm gonna try not to you know speak in broad strokes and just say, well, pe- these people say this or make these cases because you know even within church some people uh, this is a a divisive issue so you know when I say uh, people argue this these are arguments I've heard from other in the church outside the church uh, things uh, people say and what what I've seen today sometimes is that we don't want to worship God in a way that he has deemed acceptable but instead add our own modifications do our own form of worship and then force God to accept it and you know we're going to look at these verses we're going to make the case uh, soon but uh, this kind of foreshadowed the only form of musical praise that, that God has permitted is in the Christian age is singing. And He's not permitted or shown His acceptance for instrumental music. And some people say, well, you know, it sounds better and that, therefore it's more pleasing to God. That it makes, is it because it sounds better, it's more acceptable. But see, what they're actually saying is when they say that, is they're, they're saying to God, you know, God, I see that you have this specific act of worship that you say will please you, but, but this way is better and we're going to add it and you're going to accept it. And when people say this, whoever does say this, it reveals one thing about them, and that's they don't truly know the God of the Bible, the God that we're serving. Because the God of the Bible does not tolerate altered worship. Leviticus 10, uh, verse 1, it says, The Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and for all the people I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. And so you know, they deterred from his instructions of worship. God told them how to make these offerings, and they did something which he had not commanded them. So he didn't accept that offering. He punished them
0: instead. All right. Uh, my, my version, I'm, I'm reading from the ESC, it says that they offered unauthorized fire, wow. and I, I really like the way that it phrases that because that's exactly what it was, right? God, with His authority, as you mentioned, had told Nadab and Abihu, who were priests of His people, who were you know the religious leaders, the worship leaders, if you will, of the of, of the Israelites, how to go about doing their job as priests, and then they we see that there. Get, uh, they decide to do something unauthorized they decide to do something that god has said not to do and we see the consequences for that right and we see the fact that nadab and abihu they were punished immediately right. because of their their choice to offer different worship to god than what he had requ- then what he had commanded and we don't see that same sort of immediate reaction today for false worship Otherwise, there would be a lot less churches out there today, but at least at least from my point of view, but the idea still is the same that God is not going to accept worship that is not what he said, right? John chapter 8 says that we must worship God in spirit and in truth. And as I mentioned earlier, there only is one truth and that's God's truth. There's no other form of truth out there. There's no other thing that we can grasp onto. It's God. And it's what he says that matters.
2: Uh, right. And something you said that kind of uh, sparked this thought is that, you know, what these three verses definitely do also show is, you know, this is an issue God takes seriously. You know, so we ought to take it seriously as well. It ought to be important to us that we worship correctly. You know, if, there's, if there's any question about whether I'm, I'm not worshiping right, I want to know because God is not going to be pleased with my, my offerings. So, you know, God accepts and is pleased with that which he has commanded. That's the issue. It's what has God commanded. So what has he commanded for us to do? And, you know, two big ones we have are Ephesians 5, 18 19. It says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. In Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And uh, not to go through them all, but there's at least uh, eight other New Testament verses, including the command to sing or the example of Christian singing as worship to God in the church today. So that's at least 10 verses we have where God is t- authoring us, authorizing us to sing. And on the flip side, there is not one New Testament verse showing the God's approval or command for instruments or the Christians using them in the New Testament era a, a, in the church for worship. And so clearly we we know what God has commanded. He's commanded us to sing to him. And he's he's not
0: commanded us to use instruments. And uh, and we're going to get into this in a little bit, but a lot of people and again we we're not trying to make, you know, broad generalizations or anything like that, but a lot of people will look at the Old Testament, especially things like the Psalms, or the, you know, the worship in the temple or things of that nature and say, well, God said, use instruments here. Why can't we use instruments now? And it, and it goes back to just, uh, to what you were just saying, Zach, is that we don't see that in the new Testament. And so I strongly encourage you to go back and listen to our previous episode with Adrian Judd about the difference between the old Testament and the new Testament, because that really helps lay the foundation for what we're talking about today. But, uh, you know and, and so some people you know they'll they'll go back and they'll listen to that episode and they'll, they'll you know they'll be able to understand the difference between the two covenants and so they'll say well why did you go to Leviticus to make the point about God not accepting strange worship and that's a good point right we need to make sure that if we use something from the old testament as a concept or as an idea that it's shown again in the new testament and we do see that right paul wrote the letter to the corinthians because of their problems, right? They had problems within the church, and one of those problems was that they were not worshiping correctly. We see that Paul, he had to get onto the Corinthians because they were not worshiping in a way that was helpful. They were not worshiping in a way that was edifying. They were not worshiping in a way that really did anyone any good. Not just, just, you know, not only was it not pleasing to God, but it wasn't even beneficial for them to be there. And so, you know, Paul in chapter 11, he talks about the uh, taking of the Lord's Supper, which we're going to have an episode coming on uh, the show later in the season about that. But he, he goes in chapter 11 talking about how they've defiled the Lord's Supper. They've, they've not done it in the way that it needs to be done. And then we see in chapter 12 that Paul talks is starting to talk about spiritual gifts. And of course, uh, we can understand that spiritual gifts were things of that time period in order to prove what Christians were saying is true, especially the apostles, especially Jesus. Uh, and so he starts talking about spiritual gifts, including, uh, talking about tongues. And then he, he, uh, goes from that into chapter 13, which is the love chapter. And then in chapter 14, uh, he comes back and he starts talking about prophecy and he starts talking about tongues. And he says that, uh, let me, let me see if I can find the exact verse that I'm looking for here. Uh, I should have written this down beforehand. I apologize. Here we go. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 19. Paul says, In a church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So basically, in, in context, what Paul's saying is, you know, the church at Corinth had some people who had the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. And so the people there would, they would get up and they would start leading in worship with these spiritual gifts without really doing anything for anyone else. And so they would get up and they would start speaking in tongues. And Paul says that worship's not helping anybody. It's not good for God. You know, it's not, it's not what God has said. It's not helping anybody because no one can understand that tongue. Right? And so if you're going to get up, you have to have someone to interpret. And then he starts talking in verse 26 about orderly worship. And he says in verse 26, Let all things be done for building up. That's the, pr- that's the secondary purpose of worship. Right? Primary purpose is to praise God. Secondary purpose is to build one another up. So he says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three at a time, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. So he says, you know, don't go forever, don't let everybody do it at, at once, and if someone does it, have someone else interpret, because that's supposed to be edifying, that's supposed to be building one another up. And he says the same thing for prophecy. If someone's going to make a prophecy, someone else has to interpret it. In verse three, 33, he says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So Paul's saying, God's not going to say, you know, this church does one thing and this church does something else, and that's both okay because that's confusing, right? Because those those two churches are saying, well, I'm right and the other one's wrong. So Paul says, God's not got a God of confusion; He's got a God of peace. We should be unified in this. We should be connected in this. And I think that's really something that, you know, in the in the sense of Christianity as a whole, we're failing at we're not connected, we're not unified, because we've let this idea of instrumental worship come between us. And that should not be the case. We should be able to all look at the scriptures and say, okay, even if we disagree on this point, we still have the love of God for each other. And I think that's something that I know that I've failed at in, in the past, and I know that's something that other people have failed at in the past, is we let these divisions separate us from loving one another. And yes, we should speak the truth. Yes, we need to, you know, let people know that they may not be doing something that is what the Bible said. But we also still need to have love for those people who may or may not be worshiping in the correct way. Yeah, and
2: um, and so as as we uh, start stepping forward, we we've seen the correct way to worship. God's told us to sing to Him. He's not told us to use instruments. And so what I like to do when I'm thinking, I, I kind of like to argue with myself. I bring up you know, arguments and, and try to answer those things. And as we're going to look at these uh, arguments for, for to justify instruments and, and how we can answer those, you know, these aren't strawman arguments. These aren't things we're just making up to just to tear them down. These are uh, real uh, points being made, uh, whether uh, by denominations or by the church or just anybody in general. But also, even if... Uh, you may not heard someone make these cases. It's just good for for thinking sake. You know how, how do we reason through these things? Like if you're thinking about instruments, okay, I understand. You know we're, we're just singing the praises to God, but but what about this? And maybe this will help us guide our thoughts so we can be unified. We can be have have one mind. And the first argument I think that's worth looking at is to say, well, you know, I'm it's my gift. I'm talented. I'm good at this instrument. It's my God given talent. And so I need to use my God given talent for his glory. Or else, you know, why would he give me this talent if not to use it for his glory? Uh, but the, the problem, with, the first problem with that is being good at something you know, does not authorize it as worship. You're not going to find a single verse in the Bible where God says, if you have this gift or talent, use it in worship, even if I say, even if it breaks my commandments. You, know, you have the right to, to sin if you're good at this. Instead, what we do find is Matthew 28 18. Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. So Jesus is the one with all the authority. He's the one with the authority to decide how we worship. And my gift and your gift does not overrule his authority. And then also that also begs the question, you know, what if my skill is lying? What if I'm the greatest liar you've ever seen? I can get anybody to believe anything. Would it be okay for me to go around lying to people to get them to, come to, tr- uh, to, to fill the pews on Sunday? Would it be okay to, to, to lie to get them to be baptized? You know, we can see the problem with that.
0: You know, our, our talent or gifts does, is not a license to sin, to break God's law. Yeah, you, that's a really excellent point, Zach. And I think we can even take it a step further, right? Uh, because God has given you that gift, you know, again, the argument is that I should be able to use that to worship him. But as you mentioned, just because we're good at something doesn't mean that we should use it in worship. You know, like you you brought up the uh, example of lying. My mind went to to pickpocketing, right? You know, there there are some people out there who have trained and have developed a talent to be really good at pickpocketing, right? So they're going to be able to take your watch, take your wallet, take your keys without you even noticing. I don't think anyone in there, you know, would, would be able to say, I'm a good pickpocket. I'm going to use that in worship, right? That, that doesn't make sense. Right. But, you know, to, to, uh, you know, kind of understand where they're coming from, you know, they're, they're wanting to give their best to God. Right. And I, and I think that's, you know, admirable, but it's not, as, as you mentioned, it doesn't supersede the authority that God has, has, that God has, and that, and it doesn't supersede the commands that God has given.
2: Um, yes, and that's a great thing you just said I, which we I think at least should address is that a lot of uh, when we say that we're looking at people that, that do argue for instruments that're not always coming from a bad heart, you know, the people that do really think that they're doing right and they do want to do what's best for God. And so I, as we talk about this we're talking against the use of instruments in, in worship, we're not attacking the people that believe in these things, we're attacking the doctrine itself. and so you know we, we still want to share there's love for those people. And so, yeah, that's a good thing I did to point out as
0: well. I appreciate you you mentioned that. Of course. Uh, and just one more thing on this before we move on. You know, be, just because you can't use a specific talent in worship does not mean that you cannot use that God-given talent to glorify God, right? You, the, the argument, again, is if I'm good at playing an instrument, if I'm good at the guitar, I'm good at the piano, I'm good at drums, or whatever it may be, why can't I use that in worship? And we're saying, well, because the Scripture doesn't Authorize that, but you can still use that to glorify God, right? You can write music that kind of reflects—it's not necessarily worship music, but it does still reflect and, and you know put people's minds on Christ. You can you know be able to use that talent to meet people and to evangelize them uh, uh, and and to teach them the gospel, right? You know you know you may join like a songwriting club or you may join like. Uh, a guitar club, or you may join a band, or you may start, you know, giving out lessons to play the specific instrument, that's a good way to evangelize, right? So just because you cannot use your God-given talent in some cases in worship does not mean that that talent is useless in God's glory. You can use that talent. God has given you that talent for a reason. You just have to be able to use that talent in accordance with his byline or by-guide. By but what, bylaws. What, bylaws, that's the word I was looking for thank you, you can still use that gift to glorify him to work in his kingdom you just have to make sure that it's in accordance with what he has said um, right, and
2: so as we we look at this next argument, it's uh, one that, is that you've already brought up that's they use them in the Old Testament they use instruments in the Old Testament God accepted it back then and so he would accept them now why would God change his mind on that And again, the first thing is that we do not go to the Old Testament for instructions on the Christian life. And that's because the reason reason I say that is because in Romans 7-6, Paul says, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So Paul makes it very clear. He says the old ways are gone. And we now serve in the newness. We have a new covenant, a new law, new instructions for worship. It's the new uh, law, the new instructions by God. And one thing you'll notice is that, uh, if uh, anybody, at least what I've heard people make this case, they go to the Old Testament for use of instrumental music. They don't go to the Old Testament for anything else. If we're talking about the Lord's Supper or any other thing for the Christian age, it's all New Testament verses because that's where you're going to find those verses. But uh, for, when it comes to instrumental music, we don't go to the New Testament. They go to the Old Testament because they're not going to find it in the New Testament. And see, that's what happens when, when you read the Bible to fit your agenda
0: instead of reading it to learn how to fit God's. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Zach. And I've, got, I've got two things that I want to mention about this. Uh, before we before we uh, move on, first of all, uh, the old covenant existed so that the new covenant could come, right? And uh, we talked about this with with Adrian in the previous episode, so I'm not going to go fully in depth again. But but the point is that the old covenant is a foreshadow of the new covenant because the old covenant couldn't do what. It what it needed to and that was of course take away sins that's the whole point of God having a relationship with us is that, so that he can rescue us from our poor choices right God knows that we're going to sin that doesn't mean that he forces us to but God knows that we're going to sin and so he before time began he had a plan in place so that Jesus would come and, and die on the cross so that through him and through uh, his death on the cross we could have forgiveness of sins the old Covenant cannot accomplish that at all, right? Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The old covenant was reliant on those animal sacrifices, but they did not do what they needed to do. They did not take away sins. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 says, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So the Hebrew author is saying, you know, in the old covenant, they would use these works of the flesh, these dead works, with these animal sacrifices to purify themselves. How much more is the blood of Christ going to do that? Because he is pure, he is perfect, he is holy. And so now we are no longer under those dead works. We are under God and we are under his word now. And so that includes instrumental worship, right? Those are part of the dead works because as, as we mentioned earlier, The only time that we see God say it's acceptable to use instruments in worship is in the Old Testament. And that Old Testament, we're not under that anymore, right? That serves as a schoolmaster force. It helps us learn about the nature of God. It helps us, you know, see that Jesus really was who he said he was with all the messianic prophecies and things of that nature. It helps set up the the background, the, the foreknowledge that we need to have to understand the life of Christ, it's very, very important that we continue to study from the Old Testament, but we are not obligated to live under it like we are the New Testament. And so that's the, that's the first point, is that, you know, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away our sins, only Christ and his new covenant that we are under. And then the second point is one that we made in the previous episode with Adrian, so I'm not going to go in-depth with it. But in the first couple of verses of Galatians chapter 5, Paul's talking to the church at Galatia about Judaizing teachers, right? People who were coming into the church and trying to get Gentile converts to go through Judaism first and then become a Christian, which just added a lot of unnecessarily complicated steps to the life of a Christian. That was already pretty hard for pagan converts, right? It, it, was, it was unnecessary. It, was, it added complication. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't helpful at all, and it was leading people astray. It was confusing people. So he says that, you know, the, what these Judaic teachers were doing is that they were trying to force these Gentiles to be circumcised, which was a part of the old law. We're not commanded to be circumcised under the new law. A lot of people still are because it has certain medical uh, benefits, which is another reason that we can believe in God, because even before science had any idea what that what was going on there, God... Instructed his people to do that on the day on the eighth day of their life for males uh, Because that's when it's naturally best for them and there's whole scientific reasoning behind that that we're not going to go into But the point is Paul says in the early portion of Galatians chapter 5, you know These Judaizing teachers they're trying to get you to be circumcised if you're circumcised Then you have to keep the rest of the old law, right? If you're circumcised for the point of following the old law, you have to keep everything in the old law and we can't do that today because the old law required, as we looked at earlier, Levites to be the people who offered sacrifices to God. We don't know who Levites are anymore because when Rome came in in AD 70 and destroyed Jerusalem and when they burned the temple down, all the genealogies and all the records of the Jews were destroyed. So we, not only do we not have a temple today, but we have no idea who Levites are. So we cannot physically be under the old covenant. And Paul says, if you keep one part of the old covenant, you have to keep all of it, and that's impossible now. So the the idea of well, the old testament says we can use instruments in worship. That's just, that shows, like you said, Zach, that shows that they're not really willing to listen to what God has to say. They're trying to do something. That, again, some people. We're not trying to paint everyone who uses instruments and worships as an evil person. That's not what we're trying to do. But but the point is that some people will look at this either consciously or unconsciously, and they'll say, well, this is what God has said, but this is what I want to do, so I'm going to do that. And that's a trap that we all fall into a lot, but it's one that we cannot fall into, especially about worship.
2: And uh, what you said, kind of piggyback off that, it really boils down to and that really highlights an inconsistency is that you know some people, they're going to the old law for the use of instruments, But again, they're not keeping the old law. They're not making sacrifices. They're not going to Jerusalem three times a year. Because according to this line of reasoning, if we're going to use instruments because they use them in the Old Testament and God was pleased with them then, then we have to keep all of the old law. And so we can't just cherry pick the parts we want to do and leave out the rest. And the other thing, last thing about the instrumental music, if we're truly going to look at the Old Testament, personally, I think in a proper view, the Old Testament makes the case against instrumental music more than anything because if you look to the Old Testament and uh, their use of instruments, they only added the instrument God told them to add and when he told them to add it. They, they did not uh, go off of God's commandment. They followed God's command. So if we're truly going to look at the Old Testament for like how do we worship today, we look at the Old Testament and say, okay, they followed God's instruction on worship. They, they did what he told them to do when he told them to do it. And so that's what we need to do today. So, what has God told us to do? He's told us to sing to Him. So, even if we wanted to use instruments, we wouldn't know which ones to use because we
0: would need God to to command those things. We need God to tell us how to worship. You know, you you bring up the point of the Israelites being, you know, under God's authority in worship and, you know, only doing the things that God told them to do when He told them to do it. And we see what happened when they didn't do that, right? You know, a lot of the kings of Israel, a lot of the kings of Judah, They led the people of Israel away from God. They stopped the people of Israel from worshiping the way that God had commanded to. And so we see what happened with with that. God kind of left their borders uh, in a hypothetical sense and allowed foreign nations to come in and to conquer Israel and to destroy it and to lay wreck to Jerusalem. Why? Because they had stopped following God the way that he had said to. And so I think, again, the Old Testament really shines as you know, an example for us of what we should and should not do. When the Israelites were serving God, when the Israelites were worshiping God in the way that he commanded, God gave that nation prosperity. He protected that nation. But when the Israelites refused to worship in the way that God had commanded, even when God would send judge after judge, prophet after prophet to these people to say, what you're doing is not right. If they continued on that path, if they did not repent, God left them. He allowed them to be destroyed because of their own choices. And that's going to happen for us as well. And, you know, th- and my opinion of why we included this at- in the doctrinal thing is because this is really, really important. I, this is, this is my opinion. So before I say anything else, this is my opinion. This is not from the scriptures. Take it but my, for what it's worth. Yeah, exactly. It's my opinion that this is a salvation issue. And my reasoning behind that is because we are commanded to worship in the way that God has said to. And so when we're refusing to worship in the way that God has commanded for us to do, at that point we're rejecting God's commands. And so in my mind, this is a salvation issue. Some people will disagree with me on that and we're not you know explicitly told if this is a salvation issue or not in the scriptures, but that that's my opinion that it is because of you know the idea of that you are rejecting how to worship God. So, yeah, this
2: is definitely a very important issue, something God takes very seriously. So, you know, we should not take it any lighter than God does. And so, see, uh, this this debate is not uh, done in the Old Testament. It has to be won or lost in the New Testament and what, what that says. And so that leads to the next argument that's made. It says... The New Testament doesn't say not to use instrument. It doesn't condemn the use of instrumental music. And so therefore, uh, it's okay. You know, If God didn't want me to use instruments, he would have said specifically not to in the New Testament. And the first problem with that is what we already saw in Leviticus chapter 10. This, the God we serve, the God that is alive right now, does not accept that which he has not commanded us. But then the second problem is that if God tells us what he wants he doesn't have to tell us everything he does not want. Uh, when I was a, a kid growing up, I guess it's maybe kind of redundant, but uh, when Christmas came around, uh, my brothers and I would get this uh, Toys R Us catalog, which I don't think even around today, uh, I kind of feel old now. But we'd get this little Toys R Us catalog, and we would get to circle a few things that we, uh, w- what we wanted for Christmas. And, and so after I circled what I wanted, I did not have to go then and cross out every other thing in that catalog. By me circling those things, it meant I wanted these things and not the others. And so likewise, when we look to the New Testament, if God says specifically he wants us to sing, he doesn't have to list every instrument or just list instruments at all and say not to use them because he's given us what he wants us to do. He circled what he wants from us. But then also... Sometimes, uh, in the sense that saying, well, the New Testament doesn't say no. In a sense, it does because sometimes silence means no, especially with God. And I want to look specifically at Joshua chapter 6. You know, this is the famous passage of the walls of Jericho. In the first five verses we're given the plan. God gives them the plan uh, for this. And uh, Joshua 6, it says, verse 1, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, "See, I have given Jericho into your hand; its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. And you shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And the seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn." When you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. And so the commandments here are very, very plain, very simple. God says, on the first six days, you're going to march around the city one time. And then on the seventh day, you're going to march around seven times, and you're going to hear the trumpets. And when you hear the trumpets, you're going to shout. And so that's the, that's the plan. Notice, God does not say, do not shout the first six days. He does not condemn it. He's silent on that issue. And so he does not say, do not shout the first six days. But then we get to verse 10. It says, now Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout, then you shall shout. Well, how did Joshua know not to shout the first six days? Well, because God said to shout on the seventh. When God says shout on the seventh day, it means do not shout the first six days. When God says to sing praises to him, to sing to, sing to him, it means do not use
0: anything else. Yeah, that's, that's some great points, Zach. And I really like that analogy that you had of the Toys R Us catalog. And, and that's something that we can understand in a physical sense. Although it makes you really old. <laughs> right. But, but that's something that we can understand in a physical sense is that when you say, I want this that excludes every other option, you know, analogy that I've heard used before. And I think, you know, maybe some more people will be able to understand it and and relate to is when you go to a restaurant, right? Like for instance, last night, a couple friends and I went to McDonald's and I got myself a chicken sandwich and I, I said, I wanted that plain. So the cashier understood, the chef understood, I understood, my friends at the car understood that I just wanted bread and chicken. Right. Basic. Well, yeah, I I, I don't (laughs) I don't like mayo and I'm not a huge fan of tomatoes. But anyway, point Uh, is point is point is (laughs) I did not have to say I want a chicken sandwich with no tomato, no mayo, no lettuce, no onions, no olives, whatever. Right. I didn't have to say that because she understood when I said I wanted it plain that excluded everything else right or like when you go to a pizza place and they say what do you want on your pizza and you say i want a pepperoni pizza that excludes everything else that you could possibly get on that pizza right if walker if if you came up to me you know i work at the pizza shop and you came up to me and you said i want a pepperoni pizza and then i came out and i gave you a pepperoni and ham and pineapple pizza are you going to be happy with that now with the pineapple exactly right well, so, <laughs> would
2: anybody be happy with the
0: pineapple <laughs> no. some people some 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 people anyway but the point is that's not what you wanted <laughs> right. right and we can understand that in the physical sense so i'm not sure why it's harder for us to understand that in the spiritual sense with god it's the same principle when god says sing i want you to sing and worship when we see examples in the scripture of the early church singing why can we not understand that that's what God is saying? And well, and uh, you know, like we
2: look here, you know, God, it's the same issue. God did not condemn not shouting prior. But Joshua, when he's telling his people, he's not saying, okay, you, you can shout. I, I highly recommend you don't do it, though. I prefer you not to shout. He's saying, do not do this until I say it is serious. It is a command. Do not shout. And so it's no different
0: today. God says to sing. He's saying, do not do anything else. Do not alter from this. Yeah, this, this really, and, and the point that you're making is uh, what we call it sometimes is called the silence of the scriptures, right? And so there's, there are things in here that, you know, God, God's not going to give us a thou shall and a thou shalt not for every specific instance, right? The Bible would be way too long for us to really ever be able to read if he gave us a thou shalt and a thou shalt not for everything, so he gives us some principles, he gives us some examples, he gives us some concepts, right? Things that are easy for us to be able to comprehend. And so, you know, one of these things is with the Lord's Supper, and, and we, we mentioned, well, we have, we, we've actually already recorded this episode, but and we mentioned this with Sawyer Reed, who we have talking about the communion. But, you know, the idea with the communion is that God says, you know, we're going to have unleavened bread and we're going to have the fruit of the vine or grape juice, right? So when they say fruit of the vine and unleavened bread, that excludes everything else, right? So, you know, I've heard it said that some people, you know, they'll, they'll make the analogy that we should have Cheez Its and Kool Aid for the communion, right? And we can clearly understand that that's not what the scripture says because the scripture says unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. It says. And, you know, the Bible never says you can't have Cheeto or Cheez-Its and Kool-Aid for the communion. It never says thou shall not have cheez and Kool-Aid for the communion. What it does say is unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. So that rules out everything else. And it's the same principle here, right? God says, sing praises to me. God says, worship me with songs of praise. That should be enough for us to exclude everything else. Because God has said, sing, we should sing. And um, the last argument I have
2: on here, and this, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, I guess there's always uh, other arguments to make a little like small, you know, and nitpick the scriptures in a sense, like could we always make more arguments. But these are just the, the big ones that, that we I hear you're gonna hear all the time. You may have heard, you may have made yourself, or even just thought to yourself. And this this last one, and I think sometimes in some ways, it's kind of the foundation for which some of the other ones are branched from, and that's and we want to use instrumental music, and we argue that by saying it makes better music. You know, instruments make better music, it sounds better. And then, therefore, we need to offer it to God because we need to offer God our best. And because it's better, God is going to find it more pleasing. And again, so that's subjective in and of itself. And some people like instrumental music uh, in, ter- of, in terms of music. Some people like instruments better. Some people like a cappella. And we're speaking strictly music. I, I'm on the side of instruments. I like uh, listening to music with has, has instruments in it better. You know, that's why most music- musicians don't make their careers singing a cappella. So a lot of people do find uh, instruments and make better music. But here's the problem uh, when we come to this is that God is not a talent agent that we're trying to impress with our abilities. We're not trying to offer up the best music to God because he is God. He is worthy of worship. And when we sing, we're not singing uh, for making music to make music, but we're singing with the purpose of praising him. It's not music, it is worship, it is it is to glorify and praise Him. And here's the the issue, and uh, this is where, I try not to, uh, I guess, I don't want to say I get frustrated, but it just doesn't, this is how I get confused on this, is that God knows what's pleasing to Him. You know, God knows what He's going to find pleasing, what He's going to find acceptable. And so, uh, the fact that we, we think we, we can change that, and He'll, he'll find that pleasing, it kind of confuses me sometimes. You know, God says that singing today in the New Testament era is what's going to please him. And so that's what we need to do in order to please him. Because we're not making music. We're trying to worship him. And you know, so we've seen that instrumental music is not permitted. And therefore, I know it doesn't sound better to God. Because although it may make better music, in, you know, again, in a subjective sense, it does not make better worship. Because once they're added, it's no longer the sound of worship. It's the sound of disobedience. It's the sound of people breaking his law, changing his will. And that cannot sound good to God. You know, it, it sounds like sin to him. And, I, you know, I'm not God, so I can't tell you, I can't say his exact emotions or how he feels exactly uh, feeling-wise when, when instruments are offered. But there's a verse in the Old Testament that I do feel kind of captures what it might sound like to God when instruments are offered that's in Exodus 32. You know, we have the golden calf story. Moses, he goes up on the mountain to to meet with God. And he's taken a long time. You know, the people, they they get tired of waiting for him. So they go to Aaron. They say, Aaron, you know, Moses, he's taken forever. Make us a golden calf so that we can worship it. it." And they do. They make this golden calf. The people turn away from God. They're, They're living in sin. They're breaking his law. And God, aware of this, tells Moses about this. He goes, Moses, you know, the people are, are turning away from me, they're sinning. Now go down and deal with this. He sends Moses back down the mountain. With that context, we get in Exodus 32 and verse 15, it says, And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides. On the one side, on the other, they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets and when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted he said to Moses there is noise of war in the camp but he said it is not the noise of the shout of victory nor the noise of the cry of defeat but the sound of singing I hear so it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing so Moses's anger became hot and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain so Moses and Joshua, they're coming down this mountain, and they hear the noise from the camp. They hear the noise. Joshua thinks they're under attack. He goes, Moses, they're, they're, un, they're under attack. They're, I hear war going on in the camp. But Moses says, that's not, that's not the noise of war. Because Moses knew what that was, because God had just told him what it was. Moses knew the people turned away from God. He knew they were sinning. So before he even sees the sin, before he even sees the calf, he can hear the sin. He can hear the sound of the people Turning away from God, disobeying Him, I kind of think uh, it's the same way when we offer up instrumental music. Is that God hears the people turning away from Him, breaking
0: His law? Yep. House. Yeah, that, that's that's a great point, Zach, and I really appreciate you bringing all that up. And what what really stood out to me is the fact that you very at the very beginning of what you were saying, you said, uh, you know, that the argument that it's better music is subjective, anyways, right? And, and like you mentioned, a lot of you know contemporary musicians are gonna use instruments, almost every single one of them. And that's fine because it's not a worship setting that most musicians are uh, playing at, right? And so that that's part of it, is, is that it's subjective, right? Not only to us, but it's up to God. And as we mentioned earlier, it's not a matter of opinion, right? We're not gonna be able to argue with God and be like, well, you know, I, I see what you're saying, but I think you're wrong because of X, Y, or Z, right? God has authority over us. We talked about that with uh, Jude Bowers about the authority of scripture in, in episode two of this season. And so the idea is that, like you like you were saying, we should offer God, God our best, but it should be the best that he has commanded us, right? And so I think that's the biggest part of the issue is that people are going to, they're, they're going to look at this and say, I want to do this, so I'm going to, regardless of the repercussions. And not only, and I think not only is it a danger to have instruments in worship in, in in general, but I think that's also, you know, it's it's distracting. It takes the focus away from God. And I think it really, it, it hinders worship uh, from, from, my experience you know when you have a band playing at your church the focus becomes less about God and more about the band right sometimes it's just the band who is singing praises to God and it's just everyone else watching and at that point it's less worship and it's more of a concert right it's 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 more people assembling together to to hear this this group of musicians than they are to hear about God and to praise Him. So I think that's certainly w- one part of the issue is that when there are bands that kind of takes the focus away from, from worship, that takes the focus away from God. And then the second thing that I want to say real quick before we move on is that I've been to some amazing singings where it's just voices. Right? And so you know, there were no instruments present. It was just people. Just people pouring their hearts out to God, just singing their hearts out as loud as they can, not caring about, you know, how well they sound, not caring about if they're hitting the harmonies or whatever. They're just singing to God. And if you haven't experienced that, I really, really hope that you're able to at some point because Yeah, when you're with a group of people and you're all there for the same purpose and you're all there. You know, with the same mind and you're all there to pour your heart out and to sing praises to God, in my mind that's beautiful. And I think the scriptures say that that's what God wants from us and it's beautiful to Him as well. And honestly, I think that's what the scriptures show that that's what we're going to be doing in heaven is that we're going to be praising Him for all eternity. Mm. And I can't think of anything better to do with my life than to start with that now. And I guess just think of the implication of you
2: that thought process to say, well, okay, this is, I'm doing this because it sounds better. It's because God has told us what he wants. He goes, saying to me, that's the way I'm going to be pleased. It's saying, God, I know better than you. Okay. I see what you're saying, but this is better. You're, you're wrong on this one. I'll, we'll, we'll take it from here and, and offer you the best, which truly better. I and mean, that's just not the case at all. God has told us what he wants. And even if it does make better music, it's not going to be better to God because it's the sound, again, the sound of disobedience, the sound of people breaking his law. And and so that's all that I've written on, specifically on instruments itself, on instruments in worship, but I don't think that's the end of the issue. I don't think it, it's, does it justice, just leave it there? And that, that's really why, I, this is why I like to, not just define the issue as, okay, should we use instruments or not? It's how should we worship God? Because I think a lot of times what we see, especially uh, in the church, is we do a great job of, you know, we say so, so they do a great job of saying, okay, we, we need to worship God correctly, so we're not going to use instruments because God tells us to use uh, our, our voices, He tells us to sing, but then they stop and we're missing the other half. There, there's two important things we're needing, because in fact, there's two things instruct in the New Testament for us to use when we sing. And I'm going to read the same verses we read earlier. In Ephesians 5, 19, it says, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians 3, 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And so we are to sing with our voices. We are to sing a cappella, but we also need to have our heart in the worship,
0: we cannot exclude that. That's absolutely right, Zach. And, and like we were referencing earlier uh, from John chapter eight, that we have to worship in spirit and in truth. Or excuse me, John four. chapter four. Sorry, <clears throat> I believe I said John chapter eight earlier, but it's John chapter four where uh, where he says that we have to worship in spirit and in truth, right? Uh, but before we move on and we, and we kind of focus on that more, I want us to look at Colossians chapter three and verse sixteen. Because I think it's important for us to, to understand why we're doing it beyond the basic sense of God commanded it, right? That's good, right? It's good that we can understand that God commanded this, but I, there's a lot more depth to it than that. And so I want us to just take a few seconds and look at Colossians 3.16 in a little bit more depth. So I'm going to read it again, and then I'm going to kind of break it apart a little bit and, and take it up, take it apart and analyze it a little bit. So Paul, of course, in this, in this section, he's really talking about, you know, now that you have become a Christian, you know, you are to live in a way that is Christ-like with compassion and humility and patience uh, and, and love one another. And he says that's the perfect bond of unity is love. And he says, you know, that we need to let the peace of Christ dwell in us. And then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So the first part that I, that I see here is that when we sing, it allows the word of Christ to dwell in us. Many of our songs are word-for-word word adaptations of a verse. They are scriptures taken from the from the word of God and put to music you know, we, uh, the, one of my favorite verses is Galatians 2.20. And the reason that I can quote that is because of the song, right? I've been crucified with Christ ever the last I live. That song. I don't know if you know it or not, but that's how I learned that verse. And then there's other songs that may not quote scripture, but it has scriptural ideas. And there's so many hymns out there. There, there, there have been hymns written, you know, that are adaptations of Psalms. They're Hymns written from other scriptures, there are hymns that are just, you know, concepts that we see in the scripture. And there's so many beautiful hymns out there that when we sing, what we're supposed to do obviously, first of all, is worship God, right? That's the number one. And number two, we're supposed to focus on the words. And I that's something that I struggle with, is you know, because because of my background with with music and with musical theater and, and and chorale and things like that, I focus on the notes sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's a really easy trap for me to fall into because I'm I'm down there and I'm singing the bass part and I'm trying to make sure that I'm hitting my notes and I'm not focusing on what I'm really supposed to be focusing on. So that's something that I need to work on. But the point is that when we're singing these spiritual songs about God or about the scriptures or about what Christ has done for us, that allows us to learn lessons from the Bible without going to the Bible. It has these spiritual ideas, these spiritual concepts. And when we meditate on the words of these songs, they are planted on our hearts and they help us to be more like Christ. So that's number one, why we sing. It helps us to learn more about God. It helps us to dwell in our hearts. Number two, it teaches us. So that's kind of the same point. But it teaches us what God wants from us, right? You know, one, one, one song that we sing is, I Surrender All. And I've heard it said that you cannot sing that song truthfully unless you have surrendered your life to Christ. Again, that's something that I need to work on because there's things in my life that I'm kind of clinging to that I'm not supposed to be clinging to, right? It's it's sin that clings to me, and instead of shaking it off, I'm clinging back. That shouldn't be the case. So when we sing, it teaches us to follow God, and then it admonishes us. And that's not a word that we use a lot, but from my understanding, admonishing basically means it corrects us, right? So that that example that I just used, I surrender all, when I sing that, what it's supposed to do is make me think, have I surrendered all? And if the answer is no, then that should lead to change in my life, right? And it goes back to the point that I made first, is that this is the word of God. And obviously not every song written by man is, you know, helpful in this way, not every hymn is helpful in this way, because they're not divinely inspired like the Word of God is. But if it's a song that is accurate to God's Word, then it teaches us, it corrects us, and it helps us to grow closer to Him. So, and then one last thing is that it says that we can have thankfulness in our hearts. When we sing, that gives us a chance to praise God, that gives us a chance to thank Him for all of the things that He has done in our life, right? There's there's a song that says, God is so good. He's so good to me. That gives us a chance to stop and think, wow, God loves me. And he's given me all of these things, all of these physical blessings, all of these spiritual blessings. God is so good. There's another song, you know, thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you, Lord, for blessing me. Thank you, Lord, for keeping me whole and for saving my soul. It's a beautiful song. So when we sing, it teaches us, it corrects us, it helps God's word to dwell in our hearts and it help, and gives us a chance to thank God for everything that he has done for us. So that's why we sing, right? Beyond the basic command of, well, God said to sing, right? That's good. God did command us for us to sing. That's why we do it. But there's more depth to it. It helps us. And that's what we see with a lot of God's commands is not only is it, you know, beneficial for us in the the sense that it's what God commanded, but it's beneficial for us as Christians or as people. You know, I I mentioned earlier the example of circumcision. When God commanded that in the Old Testament, he commanded for males to be circumcised on the eighth day of their life. Why? Because there's a specific protein or or chemical or something. I haven't looked at this recently. But the point is that there's, there's something in a male's body that reduces blood flow that's on the eighth day of their life, it's the highest that it will ever be. God created us as males to have that, and he knew beforehand, and that's why he commanded it. So not only was circumcision a sign of the Israelites' supposed dedication to their covenant with God, but it was beneficial for them. Again, it has medical benefits, and God didn't just say, oh, well, you know, just do it whenever. He told them when to do it, and he made it Uh, in a way, and it made us in a way that it was be beneficial for us to do it on the eighth day of our life. So when we worship God, when we serve God, it's not just for the fact that we're, you know, scared of what will happen if we don't. It's because it benefits us as well.
1: We've creeped over the hour mark, so we're going to go ahead and start wrapping this up. Just, uh, Zach is frowning at me. (laughs) Can you make your last few things within, like, three
0: minutes. I don't Take know. all the time you need, Zach. He can't stop you. Yeah, you can't conceal the <laughs> word of God, you pagan. <laughs> um, could
2: would we'll just say it, and then if it's too long, do you cut it? Or Yeah, we'll be fine. Yeah, we'll we'll be, fine. be fine. I mean, Soko's
1: episode went 115. So- Alex's episode went 130. That one's coming really? up later. Oh, oh uh, we got some inconsistencies here. Okay, <laughs> I didn't know Alex's episode went 130. Okay. All right, continue on then. <laughs> so... I've been shut down. Overruled. Yeah. <laughs> Overruled. <laughs>
0: <over-rolled, laughs> rejected.
2: rejected. You have no power here, Walker. <laughs> I know. Um, I just so the question is why? You know, so we we talk about instruments. We we saw what the New Testament says. We need to worship uh, singing God and exclude the use of instruments. So why even talk about the heart? Or well, why even you know bother doing that? Because again, the issue is worship God in a way that's acceptable to Him, and it's possible to sing a cappella to God and Him still not accept it. If we sing using our voices, but leave out our heart, our heart has to be there. And I want to look at Malachi in the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter one, uh, to kind of show this in Malachi one and verse 10. He's, he's talking to the priest, uh, the priesthood of Israel. So, so not just anybody. These are the religious and spiritual leaders of the day in Malachi one, verse 10. God is saying, gets, who is there among you who would shut the doors? so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain he says i have no pleasure in you says the lord of hosts nor will i accept an offering from your hand so god's he's looking to the priest here and he says go ahead you know go through the motions you know make your offerings burn your sacrifices go ahead and do these things i'm not going to accept it i won't accept them i'm not i have no pleasure In you, even if you're doing the things I told you to do. Even if you're going through the motions, I'm not going to accept it. I have no pleasure in them. And and why is it? How did they get to that point? Well, that's when you get to chapter two, where he says, And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, says Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. And so they were going through the motions, they were making up these offerings. But their heart was not involved in the worship. The inward man w- was absent, and because of that, God found no pleasure in them. That's what God commands us to use the heart today. So you can sing as loud and as good as you want, but if your inward, if the inward man is not present, it's not acceptable. And again, so as we talk about, uh, what I'm about to say is again, this is my opinion. I'm not buying this on anybody. But uh, one, one pet peeve I have sometimes is when someone, uh, a song leader, will you know, a, 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 a praise a whole. A, host of people a congregation saying oh this was you know great singing you, you did you know, a phenomenal job with this and they might have done you know, on the outward it may sounded well but we don't know if their hearts were there or not because you know if their hearts weren't there it doesn't matter how good it was god was not pleased with it god was not uh he did not accept that he found no pleasure in it the inward man has to be present uh and one thing i was there for for as you take this is that uh, really quick, when I was uh, growing up and, and going to, uh, to, to worship, I didn't pay attention very well. I, I, I was a kid. I didn't really pay attention to the sermon that, that often. But there are always a few things I did cast that stood with me. And, and one of the things I, I took with me is that my uncle said when he was preaching, he's talking about praying. And he says, When you're praying, you know, are you thinking about the prayer? Are you praying with the congregation? Are you just closing your eyes and, and waiting until it's over? And you're going through the motions. And I think that applies to singing. When we're singing, are you just singing, going through the lyrics? Or is your heart in the worship? Are you thinking about what you're saying? Are you thinking about then directing your praise to God?
0: Yeah, that goes back to what I was talking about earlier with, with my own personal struggle of not thinking about the words when I'm singing. You know, if, if you've heard me in a, in a singing setting, you know that I've got this really loud bass voice, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you can probably tell that just from listening to the podcast. But the point is, I can be as loud as I'll get out. Hitting all of my best part harmonies, my heart's not in it. Why? Because I'm focused on the the music instead of the words. My heart's not in the right place. And something that Zach and I both got a chance to hear this summer uh, at a at a church camp that we were at. Uh, it, 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 this particular week of this camp focuses on singing to God and, and making sure that we're not you know just not just doing it to do it, but we're doing it for the right reasons. And then we're also getting better at doing it, you know? And so it's a uh, singing classes and and music classes and things of that nature, just to help some of the kids, you know, be able to to understand the, the music in hymns and to be able to put that to use. And I think that's great. And I'm really, really glad that the first lesson that those kids heard that week was from one of the music teachers. And one of the points that he made was that you know music should not take anything away from the words and it also shouldn't overshadow the words the reason that we have music with our songs is because it helps it it should help to serve the words right you know we shouldn't be focused on the music we should be focused on the words and if the songwriter does a good job of putting the music in a position to serve the words and we do a good job of putting our hearts and, and minds on the right things, on the right places, then the music will help us remember the songs. It will help us put it on our hearts, and it will help us remember them, right? I can say to you, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender all, right? I can say that till I'm blue in the face, but when you, when I sing that, When you hear a congregation sing that together, it means so much more. It hits you in a different way. And so I think it's important for us to remember that, yes, this is definitely a hard issue. We have to be focused on the right things. And even if that is technically on the song itself, if we're not focused on the words and we're not focused on God, then our worship is like that at the priest of Malachi's time. It's vain. It's worthless. It means nothing it's not only is it not helpful to us, but it 's not pleasing to God, which is the whole point of us being there at worship is to please god right,
2: mm-hmm. uh, right so we 're trying to worship a way that God finds acceptable, and even if we 're excluding instruments, even if we 're singing a cappella, if the inward man is not there, if our heart is not in the worship, it 's done in vain, and we know that because of what Jesus told the woman in John chapter four, which Isaiah, you have brought up uh, before and earlier in this podcast, I, I just want to read it real quick. it says in john four twenty three but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So he's describing the, the, the ways of worship. He's saying worship in spirit and truth, truth being the correct instructions for worship and spirit uh, being our hearts. The truth, the instructions, spirit, our heart in that worship. And notice what Jesus says about those singing with their spirit, those who have heart in their worship. He says they are the true worshipers. Worshippers, truer worshipers, worship this way. Then he says, The Father is seeking such. This is what God is looking for. We know what God wants. He wants them to sing with their hearts and in truth. Then he says, They must do it this way. There's no uh, question about it. It's not a maybe, it's not a suggestion. This is the way you must worship if you're going to worship God truthfully. And I just want to kind of, I guess, stop and uh, examine ourselves here. So, So think about. You know yourself, and as we think about ourselves, you know, does this describe you? Would you be described as a true worshiper of God, given this definition of it, or would this describe us more? And it's Matthew 15. I want to give the appropriate context here. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. You know, they're binding traditions on people that aren't meant to be bound, and so that's the context. But I still think the wording here applies to us. So, so you know, would you be described as a true worshiper, or does this describe us? more. Matthew 15, 8 and 9, it says, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. So we may be singing praises to God, but is our heart there? Is the heart there to worship God? And uh, I guess the last things I want to say before, you uh, on this is that kind of a few ways to check here's a few ways to determine you know are we worshiping with our hearts if we're not sure and one and these aren't these are these aren't you know i'm not taking these from scripture these are again my my thoughts my opinion so you know if you check these boxes it does not mean necessarily you're, you're not worshiping with your heart you know, only you know that only you and god know that but here's some things i use to determine myself if I'm worshiping with my heart, that's do I wish for the song to end quickly? Am I, am I just counting down the verses like, oh, I can't wait for the song to be over. Am I stopping and, and, and really taking that in and, and focusing on praising God? And one, I ask myself, am I mumbling the words? You know, the Bible doesn't say you have to sing loudly. It, it, it doesn't say mumbling the words is bad in and of itself. The issue I, I, I hold myself to is the reason for my mumbling. You know, I may sing quietly in church, but there's been times I lose my voice at a football game because of how loud I was cheering. You know, it wasn't because I, I, I don't like to be loud. It's because it was a heart issue. My heart was in the game, but it wasn't in the worship. And here's the big key, is that putting your heart into it does not mean you have to love singing. It does not mean you have to. You may hate singing, but you can still worship with your heart. You know, worshiping your heart does not mean you have to love singing. It means that you love the Lord. And you want to do what you can to glorify him.
0: So that's why we do what we do, because we love the Lord and because we glorify him. And I think that's a great place to end off tonight. Uh, Zach, we thank you so much for helping us write the scripts and a couple others as well. Uh, and and coming on the show and, you know, providing some some great you know thoughts and some great references to the scripture. Walker, is there anything that we need to add before we close the episode?
1: uh just all the various ways you can contact us um social media um if you haven't already liked us followed us whatever uh do it um it's, we're easy to find just search our podcast name and you'll more than likely find us uh and then of course you can search us on the web find us there um we want to hear more questions because we know that you have questions after this um we know that this may have raised a lot of more questions and so we'll just get zach to answer all those emails for us oh, no, i'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, Well, uh, But we'll be more than happy to help you with whatever you may be uh, having issues with. Um, We want episode ideas, so if this sparked another episode idea that you would like for us to discuss, send it to us. That way we can um, put it into the works of getting it created and put out for you all. And Zach, I think, had something else to say.
2: Oh, um, on the note of adding questions, we definitely encourage – questions being asked because if we're you know if, if it's the truth and you know we want to know the truth that's what we're trying to find the right way to worship god so if you have a question whether big or small whether you think it's important or not please you know, ask it we do want we are trying to find out the, the truth and how to worship god correctly so yeah definitely ask any question you have
1: most definitely and uh if you stuck around this long we're thankful for that you did um and we hope that you will join us again next time uh same time same channel um isn't that what man used to say? Solid I don't know. Head. I don't know. All right. Well, uh, I think if there's nothing else to say, we'll end in a prayer. All right. Father, we love you and we thank you. We are uh, so in, uh, in need of um, all the things that you provide for us on a daily basis. Uh, Father, we're, we're grateful for this opportunity um, to open up your word, to study from it, to learn from what your word has to say regarding instruments, regarding singing, um, regarding just praise to you. We know that that is important in your eyes and we know that we try to model our lives in a way where we're constantly glorifying you or we're constantly singing praises unto your name. We pray that the discussion that we've had today has been beneficial, that it's hopefully opened up some eyes and that your word has shined through and that it has uh, impacted and pricked the hearts of some that they may understand and see the true way to worship you. Be with those who may struggle with this issue. Um, help them to understand uh, what it is that uh, is the key issue at this um, with this problem and help them to realize the correct way to worship you. Uh, continue to be with us, strengthen us, and guide us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.